Right, hello, um, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, hosted as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening. And Khan. Good evening. Uh, how are you, gents? It's been a, a busy couple of weeks in the footballing world. Yeah, it has very... done definitely. Yeah, yeah, very well, very well. Just enjoying enjoying the heat. Well, since since our last podcast, um, Chelsea are the champions of Europe. Um, Villarreal have won the Europa League, and Brentford are in the Premier League. Um, I don't think it was a particularly vintage weekend to play off finals. Certainly not the. Uh, the, the Morecambe against Newport County won anyway, but it was uh, well deserved for Brentford. I'm, I'm glad they've come up. They've got um, th- it's been coming. Yeah, it was it was good for Brentford. They've definitely deserved it over the last three seasons. Um, I thought that game was never in doubt. Frankly, um, I agree with you on the Newport game. That was the Newport and Morecambe game was was awful. Um, am I right? And I think I've heard that Derek Adams left the Morecambe job, having immediately having just got them promoted. Yeah, it was been linked with the Bradford City. He's job. been linked with the Bradford job. I think he's left the Morecambe job, which he has. You know, con- considering he's just gotten promoted to the third tier for the first time in their history. I mean, they're still a Northern Premier League team, to, to my mind. Um, you know, that was a strange one, but he, he took, I didn't he think took they, the Bradford job. He did take it. Yeah, I didn't think they deserved it in the final, Morecambe. But they did finish fourth, and obviously three go up automatically in that league. So over the course of the season, I think you'd say they deserved it. I think Newport played better on the day, missed chances, but it, it wasn't a very good game. Um, the one really good game I thought over the weekend that was an actual contest was the was the League One final, and congratulations as well to Blackpool back in the Championship. Um, please for Blackpool fans because it's great for Blackpool. They've been through the ringer in recent years with the ownership situation and everything else. Um, I thought again they they probably just deserved it overall, but that was a good game, the the Lincoln and Blackpool game. Interesting, two good sides, two good managers have done a good job. Um, feel like for Lincoln it was kind of a bit now or never. I'm not sure they'll be a top six team again next year, although I'd, I'd like to be proven wrong on that. Not 100 percent sure how long Michael Appleton will stick it out there. I think there'll probably be bigger jobs available to him. Um, but yeah, congratulations to Blackpool, and it'll be good to see them back in the championship. Yeah, Blackpool always seem to add something, don't they? Whichever division they're in, probably your uh, bright kit theory, Paul. Yeah, I I think there's something to it, Dan. Teams who wear unusual bright colours, they definitely bring a sense of kind of fun and entertainment to to leagues, and, and Blackpool definitely do. That year they were in the Premier League, they definitely brightened it up. Although we ha- we have to draw the line at that. Um, hideous um, Newton Heath green and yellow thing that Manchester United had, I want to say, 93-94, Cam? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah, with the... Um, the lace collar. The lace, I was, yeah, I was going to yeah. say. The, yeah, Lee, the, the Lee Sharp kit, I always call it. <laughs> yeah. So when mm-hmm. I think Lee Sharp kit, I think the black one with blue trim. That's completely understandable. I mean, I, personally, I always associate that with Eric Cantona. Uh, yeah. Entering the crowd, shall we say, at Sellers Park. <laughs> um, and, and anyway, we're we're um, we're going off topic here because this is um, a Euro twenty twenty in twenty twenty one podcast. Um, we've been having a laugh waiting for, for this podcast to happen because we've been waiting for the England squad to finally be selected, and and me and Khan have come up with a host of um, 
game show ideas of uh, this is Davina, James Ward-Prowse, you have got 30 seconds to leave the Big Brother training house, because that has certainly <laughs> been the vibe that I've got. It's been uh, Gareth Southgate taking his 40-man squad down to 38, and then two more people get voted out the next day, then next day three more get thrown into a shark tank and the winner gets to go on. It's been a, a Takeshi's Castle kind of elimination process. Um, we've had the whole fiasco of his Trent in, his Trent out, when Trent was in, then out. Um, bit of okey-cokey with, with that, and then Jay Lings has announced on social media that he's not going anywhere. So, yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of a, a strange one for England, really. I think it's been a very strange way to do it. And I get that the Champions League final had the two English teams in, but... We could have had a bit of a, a, a better way of doing things. I think. I think it was too much personally uh, a trial by media. Yeah, it, it did seem a, a, a strange approach. I mean, like I say, you know, understand that there were English players involved in the the latter stages of the season, but you know, the, the sort of the game show jokes sort of wrote themselves a bit, really, as as, as we uh, as we indulged in Dan, as you mentioned. So I don't know if there was a great deal amount of value to, to, to doing that. You know, I'm not sure if we'll see it be repeated and I'm not aware that any other managers have done it either. Um, you know, I appreciate, as we've said a few times, there is a large pool of talent, um, you know, for, for, for Gareth Southgate to pick. So sort of understand it probably has been difficult for him, but I think ultimately that is what he's paid to do, right. To make those decisions um, you know, we can't say there hasn't been enough football on TV for him to watch the players. Um, you know, it's uh, as we've said, all the football all the time is, is has been available. So I'm not sure really, yeah, what those extra few days uh, have really done. Um, and obviously some injuries have, have forced his hand anyway. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, you know, aside from a couple of sort of pay your money, take your choice options, it, it probably does feel like on balances of the players available to him, he probably has picked um, you know, I'd say overall the the, the right ones. Um, I think you get down to some of those fine margins, and it's all about preferences. But I think on the whole, um, you know, most of the key players are fit, with perhaps the question mark on Maguire, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, but you know, beyond that, I think the the spine of his team is there, um, and I think you know we we probably do go into it with certainly on paper, you know, one of the one of the stronger squads in the tournament. Yeah, I. I... So on the format, I didn't like the format of the the way they've gone about narrowing down the squad. If the problem Gareth saw was not having enough players to play in these two warm-up games that we've had, and I'll come on to those in a minute in a bit more detail, um, then I think he could have named the 26-man squad and named five or six standby players at the same time when he made the initial announcement. I'm not really sure what was added by naming you know, 33, I think it was, wasn't it? His first announcement. And then narrowing down from there. I think he could have just said, look, I'm picking 26, but because we've got 10 players, 11 players, whatever it was, still involved in European games, um, I've got six additional players who are my standby list of the tournament and who are going to take part in the in the friendlies. I think that would have been a fairer way of doing it. I think everybody would have known where they stood a little bit more. Um, I have to say... Pre-tournament friendlies are generally meaningless, but these have been the two most meaningless pre-tournament <laughs> friendlies that I can ever remember. Um, we've learned basically nothing other than Sam Johnson's not bad if we need to get down to our third goalkeeper. Um, other than that, I'm not sure what we've learned. Um, we haven't seen any combinations, really, that he's likely to want to go with in the tournament. Um, 
you know, for example, big question for, for Sunday is who plays probably as the left centre half in a back three, which is a system most people think he's going to pick against Croatia. Um, Tyrone Mings is the obvious candidate because he's left sided. He's not been great in the two games, but then in the two games he's played in a back four. Now, you can argue, does a back four suit him better than back three? There are arguments you can have. But we've actually learned nothing about the suitability of Tyrone Mings for that really important role in Harry Maguire's absence on the left of a three-man defence that he may well get get thrust into against. Um, just, just to come in there, Paul, sorry, I just got a yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, go on, Dan. Why, why do you think, then, that England are going to play with a back three when we've been playing with a back four since the World Cup, since the, the World Cup exit to Croatia? So it's a really good question. It's a really, really good question. I think it comes down to him not trusting the, the centre-backs. I think um, he has almost... I think he's used a back three a couple of times since the World Cup, but he has definitely made a conscious effort to try and transition the team from a three at the back to a four at the back because it gives him that extra body in the middle of midfield. And um, and that was where the game you know, went against Croatia too. That was where the game went against Croatia when he's trying to play, you know, with a with that sort of, I don't know, uh, it was a 3-5-2, wasn't it, I suppose, in, in 2018 for the most part, trying to get it to more of a 4-3-3 to give himself, you know, three players in the middle of the field and then two support strikers who can, you know, help manage the game in that in that area. Um, who can drop in and can be involved in the build-up play. I think they're going to play a back three because he doesn't trust the centre-backs. I understand him not trusting the centre-backs. I think it's the big weakness in the squad. We have two centre-backs who I would consider top half of the genuine top half of the Premier League players. And that isn't saying that they're only that. I think Maguire and John Stones are legitimately, um, you know, centre-back's good enough to play for teams in the top four, and that's why they both do and cost a lot of money when they went there. After that, Tyrone Mings is the bottom half of the Premier League centre-half, in my view. Um, ben Godfrey is a young player with some promise. He, he didn't cover himself in glory, did he, in the two warm-up games? Again, played in the second one at right-back. Only England could pick four right-backs in a squad <laughs> and by game two be playing a centre-half out of position. Well, he, right back. He, Only he, England could do he, that. He did clean Jordan and Pickford out in one of those games, so <laughs> not, not, not everything was bad. Um, so Ben Godfrey didn't cover himself in glory. Ben White, obviously, is very um, young, has made his way into the squad. Uh, I don't think he trusts anyone to play in a two with John Stones and do it effectively. So I think he's going to try and give himself that extra bit of uh, protection. I think he'll play Cal Walker as the right side of, of a three at the back. Um, that gives him some selection dilemmas in, in midfield uh, because I'm not sure how many options we've genuinely got to play in a what becomes a two in the middle of midfield if he wants to play like a three, four, three, as, as, as teams seem to be playing these days. Difficult, difficult decisions for Gareth um, to make, but I think he, he will play with a back three, and we haven't played with it in either of the two friendlies, um, which is strange in my view. But if he had, because of the players he's, he's not had available to him, we would not have had a chance to see whether Walker, Stones and Mings for 45 minutes against Romania or, or Bulgaria look like... Um, sorry, Romania or Austria uh, look like a goer. We, we've not had the opportunity to look at that. I don't know that we learned a lot going forward. Um, I thought probably in the second game, Grealish 
Uh, he flashed a little bit in the first game. I thought in the second game he played he played well throughout, albeit he may be tired in the last 10, 15 minutes. And interestingly, one of those big chances at the end uh, that Romania created, if you watch it back, it was Jack Grealish just stopped tracking his runner. Now, that's the kind of thing that will drive Gareth Southgate potty. Um, and it's probably why I don't think Jack Grealish is going to start in the tournament, uh, certainly in the first game. Um I thought Marcus Rashford played better the other night than he did in the in the Europa League final, which not necessarily from a you know an England perspective, but just from a, getting his confidence back a little bit because he, he didn't have a good game in the final. Um, so so that was good. He it was great to see Marcus Rashford get the opportunity to captain the team. Um, I thought he he really comes across whenever he speaks as a really together, mature, um, level-headed young man. So I was delighted for him. But in terms of learning stuff about the team for the tournament, I think very little. I know I've gone on a while, so I'll try and wrap this up. But in terms of the point about did he pick the right 26, personally, I think Harry Maguire is going to play any part in the tournament, and I don't think he should be in the squad. I understand why he is, because as I've just said, we've only got two good centre-backs, and he's one of them. If the ankle is as bad as the story is, he is going to be getting injected up to the eyeballs to play even in two weeks time. And he's not um, quick anywhere. And he's not the quickest in yeah. the first place and he's not the most mobile. Um he played when they played the back three in, in the World Cup, he played the left of the three where where we're thinking maybe Mings will play next week. Um I think I'd be tempted to play Stones left of the three and Maguire Central to try and protect him a bit if you're gonna bring him back in and still play with that system. Um I'd be worried about it if I was a Man United fan because I think there's a real, real risk that Harry Maguire, in trying to force himself to get on the field in this tournament, does some damage that, that lasts into next season. Um, so I wouldn't have picked him, although I completely understand the temptation to do so given the centre-back situation. Uh, I'm not quite as strident on Jordan Henderson as maybe maybe Mr. Keane was on um, on Sunday night on ITV, although it was hilariously funny. Does he give good quizzes in the evening? Um, uh, but Jordan Henderson is clearly fit in that he's not injured. He's not, but that not is nowhere very different near than, match fit. Yeah, nowhere exactly, near. Dan. Yeah, and you can't be. He hasn't played football since February. How can he be match fit? Uh, again, I, I don't think Henderson's going to be any more than a, a bit part player in this tournament, a substitute role, um, certainly in the early early games. Maybe if they get through to the quarterfinal, semifinal, maybe it changes. Um, so I've got questions there. I'd have taken James Ward-Prowse. I'm a big fan. And I think we saw the, again the other night, his set pieces are like free chances. Um and I don't think, you know, as much as we've got some other good dead ball players in the squad, they're not they're not James Will Prowse. Uh I understand him taking Ben White as the additional one when Trent pulled out because I think he's watched the performances of Mings and Connor Cody and gone, eek, that might not be the answer. Uh, and Ben White had a reasonable game the other night, so so he made it in. But uh, overall, not convinced it's quite the right squad, although it's not far off. But, I mean, my major point to take away is those two warm-up games were a complete and utter waste of everybody's time. Well, we did learn things, sorry, Khan, just before you come in, and I know you've been waiting for a while. Um, we did learn that Jordan Henderson shouldn't take penalties. I think we already knew that, Dan. <laughs> well, I, I, I have, I, I'm well aware of the fact that he's not the greatest with the with the ball, but uh, he, he backs himself. So, sorry, Khan, go on. Should, should we have... Um... I had a public vote between, and hosted by Phil and Holly for uh, whether we play three at the back or, or four at the back. 
<laughs> well, I was just going to say that the friendlies weren't a waste of my time because I didn't watch them. Um, <laughs> so that was, that, that's an easy way. So that's a cop out, Carl. <laughs> Um, but uh, you know, for, for 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 largely for that reason, as you say, they're always um, yeah a bit of a bit of a damp squib that just have to uh, have to be there because the fixture list sort of dictates them to be. But um, yeah, I, I take your point about just on the Maguire point. Um, you know, don't want to see or hear in that of, of players. You know, sort of playing through the pain barrier um, for the sake of you know a couple of weeks, and then if it does them, you know, longer term damage. Um, you know, we had a a poor start to last season, possibly more due to things off the pitch. Um, you know, don't really want him having a poor start to next season because of, you know, sort of on the pitch and get getting patched up to play. But, you know, equally players, you know, I think we do have a side that, as, as Gareth mentioned in his open letter today, have a lot of pride when it comes to playing for their country. And I'm sure he'll want to do that right in a major tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, only come along every so often and it's not all you're not always guaranteed you'll be at the right edge of form to be picked right so when you've got a chance you probably will do everything you can um to get in there but um yeah there might be some longer term repercussions to that as well that you know hopefully you'll consider as well um and yeah take the point about what ward prowse as well um i guess the only thing with the the set pieces is you know they're only useful if he's on the pitch um i don't know how you know what i mean it's like i you know we've all seen him you know he's, he's got a terrific record um you know from from set pieces but obviously he's a you know he plays for Southampton every week um you know he probably will the pitch when you know we can't sub him on when we get a free kick right it's not like bringing <laughs> on a keeper for penalties American or something football, like that get, get, the, get the kicker on for American football yeah 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 so I think um yeah maybe that maybe that's what sort of um you know if Gareth's sort of thinking well he'll come but I probably won't play him then yeah you don't really know when you're going to get a free kick do you so um but yeah, I think, like I say, other than those couple of points, you know, overall it's good, and you know, looking forward to seeing how we, uh, yeah, how how we get on. Like, you know, I do think, like I said before, one of the, you know, perhaps what the third strongest squad on paper. But uh, as we know, with England, that doesn't necessarily matter very much once the the whistle's been blown and the ball's been kicked. I think we've got so many options in those front positions, and I think probably most of us sitting here right now, can name, like if he did it, didn't he, Dan, after the game the other night, yeah. we can probably name eight of the 11. Um, Jordan Pickford's going to start in goal. Kyle Walker's going to play. John Stones is going to play. Um, I mean, there might be a question about which the left-backs is, is going to play. I think he will probably start Chilwell. Ch- Chilwell will be my expectation. But, but I, uh, you know, so you might have a bit of a question mark there. Um, similarly, it'll be It'll be Rhys James or Kieran Trippier if he if he plays the the um the back three. I think in the middle of midfield he's he's gonna start with um Mason Mount, he's gonna start with Obviously. Declan Rice, and there's probably one position there. Harry Kane's gonna play up front. Um you know so you, you you're just talking about those those couple of positions, whether it's an attacking midfielder or or two playing in behind Kane. Um and and the third centre half option, where as I say, it looks to me like he's probably going to start Mings. Beyond that, yes, you've got fifty fifty options on both flanks at wing back, but largely we know what he's going to go with. I think those positions behind the strikers are just so difficult because I look at the talent that we have available to us there, and you know Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, Jaden Sancho, uh, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden. 
Uh, Bakayo Saka, who was one of our better players in the first one game, I know we missed the, the second one with it with a knock. Um, you know, you can play Mason Mount in that position if you want to, and bring Bellingham into the middle of midfield. There's so many options there for Gareth. Um, going forward, England should be fun to watch in this tournament. The worry is we weren't particularly fun to watch in either of the games this weekend, <laughs> but again, over the last week. But again, I, I just don't know how much you can take from those those fixtures because how many of the combinations that started over those two games, whether it's, you know, front players that play together or people playing down the left-hand side together and, and the same on the right, how many of those combinations we're going to see uh, on, on Sunday against Croatia and then again um, a week on Friday against Scotland? I think probably not many. Yeah, you, you wouldn't have thought so, would you? But it's um, it, it's strange because, like, obviously because of the boneheads in the newspapers. There's always an expectation that England do well. But I, I do think there is a good chance that England can go quite deep into this tournament. I, I do know that they're probably better off manufacturing finishing second due, due to yeah, the way the draw works. But It's a tough draw. I mean, it's not the toughest group in the world. I'd be stunned if England don't get out of the group. It would be a major, major failing. Um, we should come first or second, and the re- result of the game on Sunday should be uh, determinative of whether it is first or second. If we come first, we play the runner-up in the group of death, the, the Germany, Portugal, France, Hungary group. That would likely be one of Germany, France, Portugal. That's a very difficult second-round game. If we come second in the group, we probably play second in Spain's group, which on a first look, Sweden, maybe. We saw England versus Sweden in the World Cup a couple of years ago. I think Sweden probably slightly better they're a bit of a younger fresher side maybe than they were at that point but you know I think England are better as well than they were two years ago talent wise so um, that looks like a better draw in the last 16 it doesn't necessarily make it any easier in the in the quarter final because you still are likely at that point to end up matched with with one of France or, or Germany or Portugal so you know Getting to the quarterfinals, I think, is probably the minimum expectation for England. I think uh, anything short of that, and I think Gareth would probably lose his job. I think he could survive being in a quarterfinal, given that we've only got you know, 18 months till the next World Cup, and they might think, well, let's let him do that, that last bit of the cycle, and then, and then we'll review it after the World Cup. Then we'll ring um, Fabio Capello or Sven. <laughs> but I think I think anything less than the quarterfinal, and I think Gareth probably would would go. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. And it's not me, you know, it's not me advocating for for Gareth to lose his job. I think I think he's re- done a reasonably good job with England. Um, he's you know put a bit more pride into the side, and as he said in his his very good open letter today, I think he he really values that team culture, and he's he, for years players treated going and playing for England a bit like a chore and you know some of the the golden generation have talked about that haven't they on TV Lampard and Ferdinand and others um I don't think you get that sense with this group but at the same time uh you know the fact that the talent level is raised and the fact that we did so well in the World Cup three three summers ago means that the expectation is is big for this tournament it's Copyright, it's a results-driven business, Paul. That's the... <laughs> um, but, <laughs> um, I mean, I think, you know, look, I think Gareth Southgate during his, his, 
his tenure so far. And, you know, as I say, it, might, it may not be coming to an end, but he's proven himself, I think, you know, sort of his off-the-field kind of conduct and everything he's said and done has been absolutely superb. You know, as good as, as probably any any manager we've had, if not if not better, maybe since Bobby Robson, to be honest with you. Um, I think he's fantastic in that regard and has been great for the players' development in that side of things, in the more sort of social aspect of the game. Um, I do think, as well as how England perform in terms of, um, you know, that's sort of the tangible results and where they get to in the tournament is one thing, but... Do you also think, given the talent pool, that that how we get there is going to be looked at a bit more? Um, you know, the, obviously the World Cup getting to a semi-final and was almost like a bit of a free pass because no one really expected us to get that far. But that's kind of that coupled with other new, you know, an, another sort of crop of young players emerging in the in the well three years, isn't it? Since that now, um, you know, I don't know if England have quite upped the level of how we play. Yeah. Um, given some of the names on the team sheet. So I wonder if that might come in and they might think, could could someone else maybe, um, you know, make us a bit easier on the eye sometimes? Because I think that's starting to creep in as a bit of a point of, of debate, um, you know, after England matches now. It, it's when You look at the names there and you think, well, they all play for really big clubs. They're all big players. We've talked about some of the forward players we have, a, you know, a, a sensational and the best crop of forward players we've been in donkey's years. Um, but is, does England's style of play, just how we utilise them, reflect that? And I, I, I don't know if it does. Again, we'll wait and see how we get on this tournament. But I just wonder if that might be a factor as well in any decisions. It's the eternal age-old problem, isn't it, for England, that we, you know, we couldn't find a way to make uh, a midfield that contained the, the veritable talents of, you know, Michael Carrick and Paul Scholes and uh, David Beckham and Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard. Um, you know, we managed to make Joe Cole. We had a great, talented group of midfield players in that era um, and managed to make it look really hard work every time they went on the field together. Um, OK, we probably didn't have at that stage the depth of quality in the in the very forward positions and thinking that was a bit more of a traditional four four two era, um, you know, or four five one maybe. We we didn't have the the depth certainly behind Rooney and Owen to, to kind of make the most of all those those players at times. But we had talent in midfield and we couldn't quite get them to play the way they play for their clubs. I think that, that there is an element of that. You know, if Phil Foden looks like he's playing in a straight jacket in this tournament, then people will ask questions of Gareth because he doesn't play in a straight jacket for, for Manchester City. And if Jack Grealish ends up standing on the, you know, halfway between the halfway line and the opposition penalty area, passing sideways, then people will go, what, what's going on? Uh, so I think, you know, it's a fair point that England have to deliver on that forward promise that they have. I think people will be more willing to allow us going out in the last 16, losing 3-2 to Germany, where the centre-halves are a liability because we all know that that's, you know, where Pickford maybe throws one in because we all know there are concerns at that end of the pitch. Um, where there shouldn't be concerns about this England team is we've got a world-class, a genuinely world-class centre-forward and we've got a plethora of young, exciting, talented players with, you know, some of them with pace, some of them with technical ability, some of them with a bit of both. Um, you know, with real energy and enthusiasm, we should be scoring goals and creating chances and looking like a danger every time we get the ball. 
And I, I, I do take the point that if we're not looking like that, um, then there'll be some question marks about whether Gareth is the manager on the field tactically and stylistically to take England to, to the next level. Personally, I think in terms of winning a tournament, I think this comes probably a little bit early. I think the World Cup might be a more realistic target in 18 months' time. Um, but also to make that 18 months' time World Cup target realistic, I think we need to find another centre-back from somewhere. I just You're always one injury away when you've only got Stones and Maguire. You, know, you always feel like you're one injury away. Maybe in the next two years or 18 months, as we've got, Ben White really develops and you start to see not just a potentially very good centre-half, but someone who turns into a, a real top Premier League centre-half maybe gets that move to, to Chelsea or to Liverpool that have been rumoured and, and he comes on and starts to look like a top, top player. Um, but I do think England need that to, to kind of get them to the next level. And interestingly, again, we'll, we'll see. I think this might be the last tournament Jordan Pickford is England's starting goalkeeper. And I'm not as big a Pickford critic as some, and I've mentioned I don't think he had too bad a season this year. But um, I think, you know, Henderson, if he becomes number one at Manchester United, if the, if the Manchester United number one goalkeeper is English, I find it difficult to believe that he doesn't become the number one goalkeeper. Um, you know, given that we've not got exactly a, a huge list of options in that position. It's in- interesting times ahead for for England, but f- f- from my perspective, Carney, in terms of you know, like your you question about is how we get there important. I think there's potential for the the, the group games, the, the, the Croatia game, as, as Paul has already kind of touched on. That is probably winner if there is one uh, qualifies top, um, and the Czech Republic are. Uh, it's difficult for me because of Euro '96. My like other adopted countries are Croatia and the Czech Republic. Um, the Czech Republic are not uh, not the force they have been recently, and Scotland. That's a derby game. Anything can happen. Certainly, that game should be one of the the highlights of the group. I think what what England have got to do is is get to the knockouts, and and they should do based on, on that group. I'd be very surprised if they didn't get to the knockouts at least. And then do they start to play more attacking football? Knockout games in, in these tournaments generally tend to be quite poor. The World Cup in Russia three years ago was an exception. That was fab. Um, but we don't tend to get a lot of exciting games. And I don't think um, you'll see England particularly go for it in any knockout games. I think it'll be cagey affairs. And whether or not Gareth Southgate wants to get drawn into a tactical battle is... Uh, a completely different discussion altogether. Well, the thing is, that my worry about it is I think he does, but I don't think he should because I don't think that's his strength. I think Gareth will be better saying, no, 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 we've got great players. So if we if we get drawn against Germany or France or Portugal and, and we've got to go play them in the last 16, great, we're going to put our best players on the pitch and we're going to say, you play, we play, and we're going to open it up and we're going to try and beat you because... We've got Phil Foden and we've got Harry Kane and we've got Jack Grealish and we've got Raheem Sterling and we've got these talented players, Jordan Sancho, whoever Mason Mount, whoever you want to throw into that list. I think that's what he kind of should do. But I think Gareth maybe sees himself a bit more 
remember he was a centre-half as a player and sees himself a bit more in that kind of tactical role. And, and I, bless him, I, again, I, I think he's done a good job for England, but I'm not sure that is correct. You don't want to be getting into um, a tactical battle with Didier Deschamps' Gustave jacket, do you? <laughs> well, Didier Deschamps definitely doesn't want to get into a game of football with you, which, again, when if, if you had that France squad... I'd be saying, come on, we'll play anybody, let's go. That game that they played in the World Cup a couple of years ago against um, Argentina, uh, I, was, I was actually in a little cafe bar in a tiny little square in a French village. That was one of the best games of football I've ever seen. And, and it, it, you know, France with the handbrake off are a joy to watch. But um, Didier Deschamps prefers to keep the leather jacket <laughs> fully buttoned up, as it were, um, and try and beat you 1-0. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's completely fair that knockout tournaments generally, when you get to the knockout stages, the football sort of deteriorates. I think, if you think back to the last Euros, it felt a bit like that. It was a pretty good, entertaining group stage. And then we got into the the knockout phase and it, it became very, very, you know, dull, frankly. Um, the last World Cup was an exception. Hopefully we get another exception. I think there's enough talented players in, in Europe to make it a thrilling tournament. Um, you know, for all that we've moaned about the 24 teams and the expanded and the round of 16, blah, blah, blah. I think there's potential for some really exciting football, but I do want the managers to kind of let the teams go a little bit. If if we then sorry, can go on. Oh, it was no go on, Dan. I'll just I was just going to make a quick point uh, on just on France. I, I was just going to say I don't know if, given that they are, you know, there was a lot of pressure on them going into the last World Cup because they were expected to win it, you know, because of all the reasons you've just said, and and that still stands now because it's only a couple of years ago, and they had a young, pretty young side then who were, a lot of their players are still in mid to late twenties, you know, at, at the sort of peak of their powers. Um, maybe coming into this as world champions and the fact that they've got over that World Cup hurdle and passed it might mean that maybe the pressure's off and the football might flow a bit more and maybe they won't play as much, perhaps, with the Ambricon. Could be wishful thinking, maybe. I don't you know. Deschamps might not might not agree with that, but it could potentially you know, be interesting to see how they approach it, um, you know, given that they're... Uh, you know, they now have sort of uh, some, some silverware in the cabinet that a lot of that team will have won um, and will we'll hopefully want to show... You know, wider the world champions, if you like, and aim to do what you know what Spain did not so long ago, and you know, sort of win them back to back, as as in fact they did themselves, didn't they, in nineteen eight and two thousand? So, they did, yeah, um, yeah. yeah they did. So that you know that just I don't know it may 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 play a part in it. We'll we'll wait and see. Well, I, I was just about to shift the focus to the, the tournament as a whole. Um, th- there are some really interesting groups in there, I think. Um, we'll not go into like massive detail on all groups because we don't really have them. I'm sure our listeners don't want us to to be talking. With all due respect to North Macedonia, I don't. <laughs> we, we, I can assure you, we don't really have very many listeners from North Macedonia. So, <laughs> if we look at Group A, which is Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales, and that's a good chance for Wales to qualify. I think that's a very open group behind Italy, Dan. I think you know Italy are the favourites. I don't think they've lost since like the end of 2018. Um, again, Roberto Mancini's teams are generally quite pragmatic. They're quite um, uh, defense orientated. They've got a very old group. Italy. They they you know experience at the back. I think Chiellini and Bonucci are still in the squad. They must be about a hundred between them. 
um, <clears throat> you know, they, they've got some real veteran old grizzled campaigners. Um, I think they lack a bit of flair and star quality, but they'll be a really solid, difficult game for anybody in the knockouts. I think they'll get to the knockouts and they'll win that group. I think second and potentially third are open. Um, you know, the Swiss are always tough as old boots, aren't they, again? St- experience stages, really, yeah, aren't they? If there's one team to avoid watching, it's always Switzerland <laughs> in these things. Um, <laughs> I, I think Turkey might be the team in that, and, and Khan may, may give us chapter and verse on Turkey, but I think <laughs> Turkey in that group are probably the team who've got the most potential to be a bit kind of interesting and play with a little bit of flair. Uh, and and I think they would probably be my, be my to go through as runners up, but but it's a very open group behind the Italians. Yeah, I mean, I was going to mention first on 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 Italy. Like, I don't, you know, we've talked about the you know the heyday of Serie A, you know, a, a few months ago, and you know, I don't watch as much um, Italian football as, as as you know as, as used to. I'm sure none of us do really, but um, particularly in the you know domestic, but. I, it feels like they do have, you know, they've they've got some of those old campaigners, but I feel like there is, you know, under Mancini, it sounds like some some youngsters have started to come through, and some of those, you know, old old big Italian teams have have started to improve over the last few years as well. So I I don't know. I just have a feeling that because uh, they they'd absolutely waltzed qualifying. I think as as you said, Paul, they haven't. Uh, they've got a really strong record recently, so they should be coming in. Um, you know, with a, with a good bit of confidence, and you know, we know Italy don't have a great record in Euros. You know, they've won a lot of World Cups. I think they've only won the Euros once, um, so they're not perhaps a team that typically will will do well. And I don't think they'd maybe get to the very final stages, but I, I just think that they'll certainly get out of the group. And I, I just think they might be a side that perhaps isn't being talked about a huge amount and might actually surprise a few people. Um, perhaps coming in as perhaps one of the less perhaps less fashionable sides, ironically, given that it's Italy. Um, um, and then just just a quick point on on Turkey. Yeah, so for anyone who, who doesn't know, I, I do have some heritage on on that on one side of the family um, with Turkish. I, I can't profess to have seen a lot of them, but uh, again, they they could be a bit of a surprise package. I, I would back them to get out the group um, for sure. Um, again, I don't think they get you know to the very very latter stages, and they just won't have the quality or the depth. Um, but I think they're they're a good on their day side, and in tournaments that can make the difference sometimes between uh, you know a sort of an average tournament and, and quite a good one. Um, so uh, yeah, I definitely back them to to get out of that group, and then yeah, probably between um, yes, as you say, Switzerland. Wales. It'd be good to see Wales to go through as one of the home nations. As we said, Switzerland just don't really feel like they ever add anything. Um, no. So I think yeah, wouldn't don't think anyone would be apart from the Swiss would be overly sorry to lose them out of the group. Just on on Turkey very quickly before before we move off them, um, because something that got a point that got made to me the other day, and it's interesting, is it's one of the youngest squads in the tournament. I think there's the goalkeeper, um, and there's uh, is it Yilmaz who's been around you know yeah. since, since God was a boy uh, <laughs> up front, and I think they're the only two over the age of thirty. It's a really young, energetic side that that kind of. You know, comes into this tournament, I think, potentially as a little bit of one of those dark horses. Getting out of the group would be a fantastic success for them. So I'm not suggesting they're going to go deep into the um, into the into the tournament. But I think it, you know they are a team who I think might might surprise a few people. Yeah, agree. It's actually the uh, I think they've got the the same manager. They've gone full circle. It's the same fella in charge who oversaw the 2002 when they got to third place in the World Cup. So. 
who who knows? <laughs> I don't think they will get that far in this one. But uh, yeah, I'd certainly back them to get out of the group. It, it's just worth saying that given that we've just talked France all, they were in the qualifying group with France and took four points off them. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think Yilmaz scored a hat trick against was it the Netherlands um, a couple of weeks ago um, as well. So he's actually even though he I think he's thirty five, he's he's he's, been, he's had a great season. Plays in France, I think, and he's. Uh, um, yeah, he's in the form of his life, so age doesn't seem to be a, a barrier to him at the moment. So, yeah, potentially he could be a one to watch as well to have a, have a decent tournament. He plays for the new champions of France, Lille. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, group Group B, um, Belgium, many people's dark horses, one of mine included, um, Denmark, Finland and Russia. Um, Belgium, obviously, you'd expect to go through. Finland, you would expect to go bottom. And then it's a coin toss between Russia and Denmark. Denmark wouldn't be the most expansive team, would they? No, I think with this one, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not doesn't it's not a group that you immediately think I want to be in front of the telly for all those games. Um, would be my view. I mean, I think Belgium, you know, is are they ever going to produce? Is the question right? I, you know, I mentioned Eng- England might have had the third best squad on paper. The other two teams I was thinking of ahead of them would be Belgium and France. Um, so yeah, Belgium need to start converting that they look good on paper into, you know, really getting to those proper last stages um, because, you know, another tournament or two's time and all of a sudden these, these will be the over the hill, you know, nearly made it not so golden generation. Right. So um, if they're going to do something now would be a good time. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I don't see anyone else in that group, you know, doing any great shakes in the, in the, in the, in the wider tournaments. So put Belgium of the 2010s and early 2020s into the same category as Portugal of the 90s and England of the noughties <laughs> as a golden generation that fails to be very golden. Um, uh, I think Belgium will win the group. Um, I don't think Belgium have got much chance at all of winning the tournament. I could be made to look very, very silly in a few weeks' time, but I would be against Belgium if I was a lane uh, better. I would be laying Belgium for this tournament. Um the team I expect to go through the group in second place is Denmark. I, I think, you know, when I look at their squad, they've still got some, some good players in that in that side. And they, they tend to be the more functional players, I agree, than the sort of flair players. They haven't got a centre forward who really scares anybody. Um, you know, obviously they've got Martin Brathwaite of Middlesbrough Reserves and then Barcelona. <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, beyond him, they, they, they don't have a striker who really scares you. They've got the lad who... Had a spell at Cardiff a couple of years ago and didn't look like he could hit a, a cow's backside with a banjo. Um, but you look at the midfield options, obviously Hoiberg is a, a steady Premier League player. Christian Eriksen, we, we know all about. Um, it's just won the league with Inter. They've got the two boys from um, Brentford, Jensen and Norgard, who I've seen a lot of in the Championship, two very, very talented footballers. So I think Denmark have got a strong squad, the centre-half options, you know, there's Christiansen at Chelsea. There's Joachim Anderson, who we've just seen have a great season at Fulham. They've obviously got um, Big Pete's kid in goal. So I, I think there's enough quality in that in that um, Denmark squad to get through the group. And again, they'll be one of those teams that will make it hard for you in the last 16 if they play against one of the big boys. And if they got a little bit lucky with the draw, I could see Denmark squeaking into the latter stages. I 
confess, I don't know much about Russia. Um, they normally come with some talent, don't they? But slightly dysfunctional squads. Uh, I would expect that to be the same as, as it ever was with the Russians. Well, what 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 you don't know about them, Paul? They do know about you. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, um, talented but dysfunctional could sum up about the last hundred years of, of Russian history, really. But anyway, uh, uh, so. <laughs> You can ed- edit that out. I don't want my home raided. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be leaving that in can. Yeah. <laughs> Bring on what the is K- your name? <laughs> Bring on the KGB. Don't tell him, Pike. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. Um, are we on to Group C, Dan? Yes, we are. On that bombshell. Yeah. Austria, Holland, North Macedonia and Ukraine. Uh, Holland to win. Austria... It looked quite handy in that friendly against England for a couple of spells here and there. I think they'll probably get through. Um, or, or, I think it could be Ukraine could could see them off, off as well. Uh, and obviously, then who finishes third? You know, you know I'm, not, I'm not too sure on the criteria for third. Whoever finishes third, standing on one leg or something like that. I, I think Ukraine will progress and on the day they, they, they are capable of upsetting a lot of teams. I think Ukraine. Yeah, I, I think Ukraine are a little bit of a, uh, you know, again, a bit like Turkey in a sense. that I think they will be one of those sides that are uh, a little bit under the radar, that are talented and that are maybe a bit more exciting to watch than people necessarily think going into the tournament. Uh, again, similar to Turkey, you, you look at their squad and there's quite a few younger players in it. I think they've got a bit more experience in middle, you know, the likes of Jan Malenko, I think, in the squad and he's been going uh, forever and a day but they've got some some talented younger players particularly I think Shakhtar Donetsk and, and Kiev as, as you always expect with with Ukrainian sides have, have got good groups and, and will will be heavily represented in, in what they put on the field but I think Ukraine probably will will find a way through that group whether it's as runners up or whether it's as you know one of the better third places when I look at the Dutch squad I mean there's some talent in the Dutch squad. We know that. We know they've got um, De Litt, obviously, from, from Juventus. We know they've got Frankie de Jong from uh, Barcelona. They were the two superstars, weren't they, in that Ajax run to the Champions League semi-final. Um, and please don't make me relive the last 30 seconds of that semi-final again, because it still scores me. The good guys um, won in the end, Paul. <laughs> well, well, I'm, <laughs> the less bad guys won in the end, Dan, is one I might be, I might be willing to accept. Um, it's interesting that I, I don't think Van der made it, has he? Um, no, he's which, not. He's not made it. He's out. Which I think, you know, twelve months ago, if you'd said he wasn't going to make it, I, I, I think he is carrying an injury. So I'm, I'm not sure whether um, that's played a part in the decision. Uh, but beyond those two, and, and both of them probably haven't kicked on in quite the way we hoped for two, three years ago when they were in that great Ajax team. I think you'd be thinking by now you'd be talking about two of the best. Um, footballers in, in the world and I don't think either of them has quite shone for, for their new club in that way um, obviously Van Dijk's missing, that's a huge blow no Van der Beek as we've just said and I might be biased against him because of his time in England but I just, whenever I watch Memphis uh, Depay I'm, I'm left wanting more <laughs> from him and um, not more of him, more from him <laughs> and, uh, and I, I you know I don't know. I'm. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the if the Dutch didn't win that group. 
uh, you know, and if maybe a Ukraine or somebody like that, Austria, managed to sneak out of the group, uh, I don't think that's a great Netherlands team. And I certainly don't think they're going to go beyond the last 16. I think the last 16 is the ceiling for them. Again, I might be completely wrong. If it's a Holland-Belgium final, then this podcast is really <laughs> going to come back to bite me. Um, but in the lane market, I'm, I'm against uh, Belgium and I'm against the Netherlands as well. I'm betting on Belgium to, 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 to win it. I think we'd, we'd still expect them to go far. But yeah, I think you're right with the Netherlands. It's a bit, it's a bit patchy. I think what will be interesting to see is whether... You know, some of those players who, apart from Van der Beek, who is out with an injury, but with some of those players who perhaps haven't, you know, maybe done as well at their clubs or their clubs haven't done as well since they've joined, which I think might be more the case with De Jong, to be fair to him. I think he's I think he's done all right himself, but he's just playing in a, let's, let's be polite and say, transitional Barcelona side. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they play, because I haven't watched much of them as a national team, whether that will help. And it's the first time qualifying for a tournament for a few years as well, isn't it, I think? Um, so they are. They've missed the, missed the last two, I think, haven't they? Didn't they miss both the World Cup and the 2016 Euros? I, I think, I, think they did. I read that they've not qualified since 2014. Um, so since when they uh, made the final, is that right? Or was 2010 the final? 2010 was the final. Yeah, where they kicked Spain all boosted the lumps yeah. out of Spain. Yeah. 2014, yeah. did they lose in the semis in 2014? That was to Argentina, maybe. Yeah. I can't remember now, but yeah, they did do quite well in it because that was when Van Hall was their manager, and then he came to join United after the tournament. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I don't think they've qualified for one since then. So I suppose the fact that they've actually, they're actually here is probably a plus point for them. Um, but again, it, it could mean it's it's a bit of a free hit, right? Expectations might be lower. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think they could be a potential wild card. I think yeah, on paper, definitely very patchy. But yeah, who knows? Um, these are strange times we're living in, right? Um, uh, and yeah, I can't profess to know loads about Ukraine, but other than you've said, you know, you know, sides like Shakhtar are always a threat in the Champions League, and they seem to produce more and more players. So you know, maybe back them to, to sort of finish second, perhaps, and be another, you know, surprise package uh, potentially. So go on then, Dan. This is your moment to shine. What can you tell us about the North Macedonia squad? Um, not a great deal, other than my opinion is that they will finish bottom of this group. Right. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to um, it's, it's like that scene on Father Ted where uh, where, where Ted's doing the the anti-racism presentation and there's a an accidental slide of a Maori. You know, sorry, the, the, there are no Maoris on Craggy Island and the camera just cuts to a Maori in the crowd. Uh, so, yeah, we're having our first North Macedonian listener this week. You you can bank bank every pound on that. Um, I mean, let's just, before we move off, and what a fantastic achievement for them to get here. Oh, completely, yeah. And, and the expanded Euros with the slightly different qualifying format and playoffs coming out of the Nations League was designed so that we did start to get opportunities for some of these smaller nations to get to major tournaments. And it's fantastic for North Macedonia. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure the country of North Macedonia will stop for the, the three games that they play. And, you know, in, in a period of history when people don't have much to feel proud about, then uh, for, for the people of that country, I think it is a fantastic thing. Yeah. Completely. Even if they lose all three games. Yeah, and, and, and they probably will. But if, if they, you know, even if that's the case, they've got the they've qualified. That is amazing for quite a relatively young country as well. Um, in relative terms, anyway, we all yeah. know the complicated nature of the Balkans. Yeah. Um, 
if we kind of look group D, we've, which we've done extensively. So what I'll Talking do Talking of small countries for whom it's great to qualify, well done to Scotland. Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I am gonna say, I'm, we won't we won't um, ruminate too much about group D because we've already done it. But I'm gonna say England will finish top, Scotland will finish second, and Croatia will finish third. How about that? You would be extremely popular north of the border, Dan. They will be <laughs> rebuilding Hadrian's Wall to stop me getting in, but you will have a a haggis waiting for you when you cross the border and a can of McEwan's lager. How about that? Well, I'll, you don't I'll, drink, do you? So well, I, I might, I am well, that's more like it can. I might, I might be tempted to try the haggis. The McEwan's yeah. not so much. Um, I mean, that's probably why I call on the McEwan's if if, uh, if yeah. the one time I've tasted it has got anything to go by. Um, I think, yeah, I, look, Scotland have a chance for me, but I think their chance is to be one of the better third places. And in order to do that, they did need to beat the Czech Republic um, and then get a draw in one of the other two games, I think. Uh, I actually think Croatia might win the group. I think England's sort of disjointed build-up Undercooked uh, a little bit. and not having the, the squad put together, I think gives Croatia a real advantage for Sunday. I think Croatia will win, win the game on Sunday. I think there'll be a mass panic in the England ranks. And then I think we'll go win against Scotland, win against Czech Republic, look pretty good in both games, and it'll be back to names on the cup by the time we get to the last 16. Come. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, uh, it's an interesting shout for us to... Uh... To, to not win the opening game. I think I, I was going to say, I think England will win the group and Croatia will be second, but who knows? It's England in a tournament, right? I mean, we might draw nil-nil in every game and I wouldn't be surprised to be I'm quite honest qualified. with you. <laughs> Come, without wanting to relive it too much, can, re- can you remember watching that dreadful Algeria game in 2010 in that pub in uh, West London? Yes, I do. It was, it was awful. <laughs> awful. Um, I, I think by the end, we'd stopped actually watching the game. Khan and I were in the pub, Dan. And as two massive football fans, I think we spent the last twenty minutes talking about work. It was that yeah. awful. It was it was like that that recreation of the the fictional England game in Mike Bassett, wasn't it, where everyone's asleep in the <laughs> yeah. um, It was just like they decided to actually just make that for real. <laughs> and then Rooney Rooney swore at all the fans on his way yeah. off the pitch. If you remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. positive Red vibes on this podcast only. It's going to be three <laughs> three in every game. Um. But I must admit, I thought you were recreating the airport scene, Paul, with your anti-Scotland jibes a minute ago. I was uh, from 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 Mike Bassett. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, if we haven't got onto the Irish, have we? They've not qualified. Um, no, I look. I I wanted Scotland to to qualify for the tournament, and I was kind of secretly rooting for them in that game in Serbia. And I'm pleased that they're there. I do think. It's been too long for, for Scotland at a major tournament. 1998, it's a long, long time ago. You know, There'll be probably people listening to this podcast who've never seen Scotland play in a major tournament. Um, so I'm, I'm delighted for them that they're there. I think um, I think Steve Clark's a savvy manager. I think he will know how important that first game is against uh, the Czech Republic on, um, on Monday. It's at Hamden Park. That gives them a huge advantage. Uh, I think Scotland will win their first game on Monday against the Czech Republic at Hamden. Whether that's enough to get them out of the group remains to be seen. Yeah, um, up the Andy Robbo, that's all I can say. I'm made up for him. Yeah, that, 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 I didn't realise it was at Hamden, but that is something we haven't sort of mentioned much as we've been going through this, how some of these countries, um, and we haven't covered all of them yet, but 
some of them do have home advantage, right? Which which we haven't sort of covered, but there's you know there's a fair few. I I can't keep track because they keep changing the venues every two minutes. <laughs> so I think <laughs> I think on Italy, Denmark, Russia, the Netherlands, England, Scotland, Spain, Hungary, and Germany. That's a lot. We'll have at least at least one game played at their at their home. Uh, yeah, in their home country. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So there you go. So that's something to, you know, to factor in as well. Um, and Scotland play. Uh, Scotland obviously three group games. They play England at Wembley because, of course, they play all their games at Wembley. Uh, <laughs> you'd, you'd almost think we've got undue influence, wouldn't you? Um, England play all their games at Wembley, uh, but Scotland play the other two both at Hampden Park. So again, you know, as as advantages go. And there'll be some fans in the stands, and uh, I'm sure even though it's not a full house, it will sound like a full house at Hampden. I, I have absolutely say, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. Scot- yeah. Scotland and their fans add something to a tournament in the same way Holland do, you know, bright orange shirts everywhere and tartans everywhere with Scotland. It's great. I, 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 I like Scotland. Um, and I, I really hope Andy Robbo does, does well. I really do. I'm very, very happy for him. Um, Group E. Poland, Slovakia, Spain and Sweden. I'd say the last two names there um, stand straight out to me as the qualifiers. Yeah, I mean again it's a it's a funny one with, with you know with Spain, you know, they're, they're we you know we mentioned them a bit before, you know, they're not, not the, the force they were ten years ago, you know, a lot of uh well, a lot of really great players. Um, you know, they had a, an absolutely amazing side. That played for some pretty amazing club sides, but they they've long since gone. There are some younger players, you know, the young lad at City, um, or they seem to have about six players with the surname Torres. I can't keep track, but um, I think it's Ferran, isn't it, who's there, who's, who's quite highly rated. Um, whether they've got enough to really make a big impact on the tournament, I don't know, but you'd still probably expect them to comfortably qualify from that group and and probably at you know at top the group. Uh, but, Again, it's it's not a group you look at it and think I'll be taking the afternoon off work to make sure I'm at the very front of the pub to watch those games. But again, who knows? <laughs> right, this is all on. This is football's not played on paper, right? So you can never tell with the tournament. But um, yeah, it doesn't perhaps strike me as one of the more gripping groups, particularly with the one we've got going to come on to in a few in a few minutes. But I'll hand over to Paul for any thoughts you might have because uh, I know you have some links to to Poland, I think as well, don't you? So you might have yeah, po- Poland, say. Poland and Slovakia family links. Uh, you know, I. I'll be rooting for uh, one or, or both of them to try and get out of the group. Um, I think they're both probably up against it. I think um, I would look at Spain and still think they're probably the, the best team in that group. Will be it. I agree. I, I looked at their squad this afternoon when I was kind of doing a bit of, of research for, for this podcast. I know, amazing, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell. Uh, but I looked at their squad and I... I'll be honest, the names didn't knock me bandy, uh, as Delboy would say. Um, Adama Traore is in the Spain squad. There you go. Um, you learn something every day. Uh, you know, obviously there's been this, this sort of scandal, if you like, about Laporte sort of switching nationality at the last minute because he wasn't going to get in the France squad and suddenly he's Spanish. Um, <laughs> but, but they don't have a lot of standout names. I, again, I, I think they will get out of the group. I'm not sure I see them going deep into the tournament, to be honest. In terms of who comes second, I think it's another of those very open groups. Um, Sweden are 
pretty ob- reliable. Obdurate they turn up. is a word. I would yeah, use. they a bit a bit like the Swiss in recent years. They turn up at international tournaments. They're always well coached. They're always well prepared. They always seem to have a veteran squad. I don't know if in Sweden footballers are born at age twenty-seven. But Sweden always seems to have an old squad at every tournament. And always seems to draw England. Yeah, well, exactly. And and I think, you know, if, if England were to uh, come second and Sweden were to come second, that's a potential matchup in the, in the last 16, which wouldn't surprise anyone. But again, it is an older group. I think scoring goals is always a question for Sweden. Uh, and... I don't know where I see the goals from their squad. I think I made a note earlier on that they've only got two players with with double figures um, at international level in the whole squad. So goals are going to be an issue, but they'll be well organised. They won't give you a lot away. Um, The goalkeeper, who we've not seen a huge amount of, but who spent the season on loan at Everton, uh, is is quite highly thought of. Um, They've obviously got Manchester United legend Victor Lindelof uh, in, in front of him. So... There is, um, again, they'll have a solid base. They'll be difficult to beat. You'd like to think that uh, one of the other two teams in the group would be more entertaining than uh, than Sweden. But again, Poland aren't a particularly entertaining side. They've got Lewandowski, and we, we all know how good Lewandowski is, world-class centre-forward. And even at whatever he is now, 32, 33, he is still one of the players that you would immediately pick out you know, for a world 11 and, and that sort of thing. But don't know about the creativity. I think a lot will 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 um, will fall to Zelinski from, from Napoli. I think he's going to be a really important player for them uh, in that midfield area. And uh, they've got click as well at Leeds. Can, he, he does quite a good job in English football and getting in the box and getting into goal-scoring positions. But I don't know what his record's like at international level. I just, I don't know with Poland, I... I think they've got a few players that they rely a lot on and it just makes it a little bit easier for teams to shut them down. Um, still thinking the two former Arsenal goalkeepers in, in Szczesny and, and Fabianski struggle to think there are many teams in the tournament with a better one and two uh, in goal. Um, Slovakia, I know even less about, frankly, uh, the current side. It, it, again, it, it, it's a slightly younger group. They've started to transition away from some of their older players, uh, but but they still do have, you know, the likes of Hamsik still in the squad. Vladimir Weiss is still in the squad. Don't uh, tell me Martin Skirtle is still in. No, I don't think Skirtle's still in the squad. Um, obviously, the goalkeeper at Newcastle is the is the number one, Dubravka. Uh, but I, generally, I know very little about them. I haven't seen them play any any you know games recently. Uh, I think they're they're not in the best form. If you look at the results from their friendlies and and from the end of the uh, the qualification period, uh, they snuck past Scotland in the in the, in the nation league. Um, I think they only beat Northern Ireland after extra time. That's not the sort of form that would lead you to think they're going to make it deep into this tournament. So. Um, yeah, I think Slovakia will go out. I think it's probably Sweden and Poland for second and third. And then, you know, as we said in other groups, the third place is, it might be good enough. Depends on depends on how many points you get. Um, group F then, which is the self-certified uh, group of death. Uh, France, Germany, Hungary and Portugal. Uh, pick the bones out of that one. Um, France are, are big favourites. 
don't think it's the greatest Germany that you'll see, but it's Germany. They'll probably get to the final at the very least somehow. Um, Hungary, good luck, boys. But if you're on it on your day, you can you qualify. You can get third if you get one good result. And Portugal, um, obviously the defending champions. Uh, pick the bones out of that one, gents. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's, it's it's a tough one. Um, I think you'd, you'd expect France, just for all the reasons we've said, to to certainly top the group and, and you know be amazed if they're not involved in the final. Um, you know to go right the way through the to, the tournament, and then you'd have to expect that that Hungary will will fall short or something. They'd have to go majorly wrong one of those for one of those other countries for for Hungary to somehow be in the mix um, to get through the group. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I maybe fancy Portugal for second place. I don't think it is a vintage Germany team, but how many times has that been said before? That'll probably come back to haunt me, <laughs> along with uh, the Belgium and uh, Netherlands <laughs> or whoever it was. So add, add that one to the to the list. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I feel like there's perhaps a bit more momentum around Portugal than Germany. But yeah, who, who knows? But you'd, you'd expect that those would be the the three. Um, you know, there'd have to be a yeah a major surprise or upset or one of those sides to you know not turn up essentially in in one or two games to uh you know to to be able to to not qualify. My so I I, I agree. I think France are the best team in the group. Um, if France turn up and play to their potential, that they'll win the group. Um, my thing on Portugal is I think they've got a very very talented midfield. Um, lot of very talented players in that in that group. Whether it's Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Ruben Neves, we've seen all of those guys from the Premier League. We know how good they are. João Moutinho, who's been around since you know 1864, <laughs> uh, they've got a really talented group in there. Pedro Gonçalves, who a lot of people have been, a lot of English clubs have been linked with in the last couple of weeks from from uh, Sporting, who've, who've just I think won their first Portuguese league for for. 15 years or something. My worry about Portugal, it seems strange to say it when they have the Football Writers Player of the Year at centre-half. My worry about Portugal is defensively. Because yes, they've got Ruben Diaz, and yes, we've just seen how good he is for Manchester City. But the expectation is that he will be partnered at the back by either Pepe or Jose Font. And if you're thinking, God, are they still going? 37 and 38 respectively. (laughs) Um, Now, you know, the fact that they're both still in the squad, fine old campaigners that they've been for Portugal, suggests to me that maybe there isn't the depth in Portugal defensively that there is elsewhere. So Mado may well start at full-back. We've, we've seen him struggle for Wolves. Rui Patricio is a goalkeeper. We've seen him not have a great season at Wolves. Um, you know, Moutinho, as I say, has been around a long time. We talked on our end-of-season Premier League podcast, didn't we, about the fact he's looked his age a little bit this season. Um, they've got Cristiano Ronaldo, who's, who's no spring chicken, despite being obviously a supremely talented footballer. Um, Portugal should get through the group. I think Germany will get through the group as well. Uh, I think that will be a group that probably sends three teams into the knockout phase. Uh, I get that it's not a vintage German team, but again, I think they've got some core experience. That, you know, Tony Cruz, uh, the goalkeeper Neuer, um, the Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller, the manager, and I and I think that my my knock on Germany is the other way around. I, I don't. I think the Germans will be pretty steady at the back. I worry a little bit up front because if Timo Werner is your number one centre forward, 
having just seen him play for a year in the Premier League in that role, I, I don't know. They had a really good result last night, didn't they? Beat someone quite heavily in a La- friendly. They beat Latvia seven one, and I watched most of that game. Um, because it what, was what on... did you think, Dan? Was it, was it Latvia were terrible? Um, well, they were they were four nil down after twenty minutes, I think. So um, yeah, there, there wasn't a lot going for Latvia, um, but. You, yeah, you can't really look at a result like that and say Germany are going to storm the tournament. Um, no, and, and but, it's not that long since Spain battered them either in the in the Nations League. Um, was that towards the end of last year, one of the international breaks last year? Um, so they're not coming without their issues, Germany. But I don't know. I I, I expect them to get through the group, and I think Portugal will get through the group. Um, so it, it then all three of those teams—France, Portugal, Germany—have the potential to be a force once they're into the knockouts um, because they've all got really talented squads. I, I, I do agree with you uh, when, when you say um, that that is... Group Group F will probably have three representatives as opposed to two. I'd, I'd be interested to see what the odds are on Group F having three of the four semi-finalists <laughs> out, out probably, of interest. Probably quite well, high. Well, I, I, I do think, you know, genuinely, I, I think you're probably right, Con, in terms of the best squads in inverted commas you'd probably go um france number one and then maybe belgium number two and then possibly england portugal maybe germany are in that conversation for the the next best uh and three of those are in the same group as one another so i don't know i i suspect it's just the experience of the germans but look i'd I'd be quite happy to see them go out in the group stage if i'm honest with you and, and see france and and Portugal progress. Um, equally, again, thinking thinking for England, if England were to win the group and play runner-up in this group, who do I want England to play? I think I probably want England to play Germany of yeah. those three. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of history there and we don't have the greatest record against them, but I feel like the energy we have um, in midfield is, is going to be difficult for the Germans to match. Whereas I think maybe that Portuguese midfield and French midfield would be more capable of going toe to toe with with the energy and and technical ability that England can, can put in those midfields and attacking midfield positions. And and a couple of couple of players who who ply the trade in Germany as well, so we'll know know some of that team quite well potentially as well. Yeah, I, I, so I think of the three. If if I had to, say, if someone said to me now, well, England are going to uh, win the group and play second from the the group of death, which one would you fancy it being? I'd probably pick Germany of the three of them. Yeah, and I, 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 I don't know. I've not looked at it, Dan, but I don't know if we go that route. What the what the quarterfinal would then look like? You know, if you you end up playing Germany and you beat Germany, uh, what does the quarterfinal look like? Um, and I think, from memory, you probably end up in the section where it's the Group C winner, and that might be the Netherlands. And as I've already said, I'm not completely sold on them. So that might, while it it, it looks on paper like you want England to maybe come second because you play runner-up in a, in a weaker group in, in the second round, if you play the group of death team and you beat them, maybe the draw opens up a little bit for you then. And look, if you're going to win a tournament, you have to be a good team at some point. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, very definitely. Yeah, if, if we kind of close off, then with I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to to nail your predictions down. Um, I'm gonna say that France will win a tournament, and um, Kylian Mbappe will be the golden boot. Um, 
I would probably. Can I? Can I not pick? <laughs> can I? Did you go first? So you can pick France, and we can't pick France. No, 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 no. Can you can pick North Macedonia um, if you wish. Uh, <laughs> well, I'd look. I mean, yeah. If I had to stick a tenner on anyone, yeah, it, it would it would be France. Um, I would say Harry Kane to the Golden Boots. I think Harry Kane's got a great shout to the Golden Boots. Yeah, I I think I probably agree with Con. I think uh, I think France are the most likely winners. If I was going for somebody that wasn't France, I might be tempted to say Portugal retain it. Um, if they can, you know, just be enough at the back. Uh, I think Harry Kane has got a great shout for the Golden Boot. Um, I, yeah, I think probably the other one for the Golden Boot who who might have a a bit of a shout is um, Lewandowski because again he's a fast player and we've already said that isn't the best group in the world that Poland are in they don't create yeah. a huge amount of chances but if he could get four or five goals in the group he might give himself a chance um, if I'm going to pick a wild card team for this tournament I I have a sneaky suspicion Denmark will do better than people think yeah you, Ukraine in my pick for uh, on the dog, for kind of like dark horses well, I'll, I'll go with I'll I'll go with Turkey then as my dark horse and uh, go with a bit of uh, patriotism. The only thing I was going to say, Paul, just and I meant to say it when you were you talking through the, the groups, but I thought I'd read that Lewandowski doesn't have a great record in tournaments. I know he's obviously a, a great goal scorer and has been at club level and and I think at international level, but in tournament goals are not his strong points. No, um, I, I think it's true. He's he's been a bit of a disappointment. I, I do remember the last Euros, he definitely went into carrying an injury. Um, and, and I think that, that restricted him. But it is, I think it's a fair point. He's not really cracked it at a major tournament. Now, again, that might be because he plays in a Poland team that's never around that long in major tournaments. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you're Ronaldo, you get plenty of chance generally go to the knockouts. You know, if you're Kylian Mbappe, you can expect France to get to the semi-final most tournaments. But if you if you play up front for Poland, you've got to get your goals in the group games, haven't you, really? So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fair point. I just think this group might be one that just opens up in a way that maybe some of the groups they've been in previously haven't haven't quite set up that way. Very good, very interesting. Um, and I think with that, we're uh, we're about done. We've we've covered uh, Euro twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one quite extensively. I think uh, just before we finish, Dan, uh, neck on the line. What round do England reach? Um, I, I can see a last sixteen exit to France. Con quarters. Yeah, I think I the same. I think I I think quarterfinals as well. Yeah, it, it's not going to be beyond that. I mean, but if the stars align, England can get to the semi. If the stars align, England can get to the final. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, uh, England are one of four or five teams with this with a chance to win this tournament. I think they are. Um, obviously France. I think Portugal. I think England. I think Belgium, because of their talent, will be, you know, I really fancy them. And I do think Italy, because of their experience and because they're in a kind of nice section of the draw. I think they are the five who I think could actually go the whole way it, and win it. It takes some stones from the right honourable gentleman to rule out Germany. I'm going to rule out Germany. Yep, I am. I didn't think of Germany won a Euros since, since 96. 
Um, I don't think they have, haven't they? I think Euro 96 was their last Euros win. Yeah, I, I, I don't no, know. They've won two World Cups, right? Or a World no, Cup. No, one World Cup. Yeah, they, they, oh, won... they got to the final, didn't they? Yeah, yeah they lost one World Cup and got to another final, yeah. Yeah, no, two. Yeah, um, the, the, uh, they won the World Cup, was it 2012? No, 20, 2014? 14, 2014 yeah. in, in Brazil. Uh, in Brazil. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll, I'll, never forget, Brazil <laughs> I'll never forget that game. That was one of the funniest games of football I've ever that seen in ridiculous. my life. That <laughs> whereas, whereas the final, you've probably have forgotten because it wasn't the best. Oh, yeah, I, I've, I've not forgotten it, but I've but <laughs> the reason I can remember it is because I watched it in a friend's house. I couldn't uh, tell you much about the game other than it wasn't very good. I think there's a man who would like to forget that game happened, which is Gonzalo Higuain, because I think he only missed three open goals. <laughs> it wasn't Gonzalo Higuain's best game, let's just say that. Um, yeah, because it was Argentina, wasn't it, in Brazil? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to yeah. rub salt into the wounds. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you want your sworn enemies to win it or the team that's just battered you up and down the semi-final? <laughs> Both a, a difficult choice for the Brazilians, yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, you can tell how long ago that was because I actually felt sorry for Neymar in that tournament. <laughs> he was still a, a kid, really, and he had so many, literally 180 million people or whatever live in Brazil. I had, had the hopes on that because they weren't a good Brazil side and no. they were hosting the World Cup and he was the young superstar. And bless yeah. him, he was in floods of tears and I genuinely felt sorry for him. Eight years on, couldn't give a monkeys. But, uh, <laughs> what's, what's but at the time, I remember feeling really bad for him. Uh, is it just worth saying, Dan, that uh, because of the quirk of COVID... Um, we actually have a European Championship taking place at the same time, would touch that it actually goes ahead, as the Copper America, which kicks off on Sunday. I, I, it's crazy that that tournament's still going ahead, to be honest, and I don't mean the Euros. <laughs> no, no, indeed. I mean, they've they've moved out of two other countries and moved it into Brazil, which last time I checked was a COVID minefield. Yeah. But, um... can, can, can we just agree that the Copper America... Just put it in a box with the African Cup of Nations and not open it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know it is a quirk of fate. I mean, it, I, I've actually booked the day off on Monday so that I can uh, I can maybe have a drink or two on Sunday afternoon watching England and, and not worry about feeling rough the next day. But there is, if you can uh, stomach it, there's four games Monday pretty much back to back by the time you've watched Brazil and Wailer in the uh, in the Copa America. So it's a day to uh, fire up the barbecue, crack open the beers, and sit in front of the football. All of the football. All of the time. All of the time. It's live. The football never stops. From the gargantuans of Brazil to the immovable force of Venezuela. Sign me up. I'm in. Just, just, just on that, though, really quickly, I know we need to wrap up. The one question I did want to try and weave in, which I've obviously not done, so I'm going to ask it now right at the end, is, is everyone going to be knackered? Like, just in terms of the tournament itself. I mean, you know, we've, we, we've talked and, and joked about, you know, all the football all the time and... You know, will this tournament go ahead? Will it be across Europe? Will there be fans? It turns out UEFA don't listen to this podcast and it is going ahead. It is, it is all across Europe. Fans are in the stadiums. You know, it's a jamboree, fun for all the family. But, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just because it's internationals and players will brush off any niggles or whatever and just, you know, get through it. But, you know, I don't know what, what you guys think. Um, I know it's a legitimate point, I suppose, for every tournament, just particularly at the moment, it feels like players are closer to, to burnout than they've ever been, in, in, certainly in, in sort of modern history. I, d- I don't know if you guys think that's a legitimate concern or whatever. I mean, we'll soon find out, but I just thought I'd mention it. Well, we've played basically a season and a half nearly, haven't we, pretty much straight through, back to back. With no pre-season. So, 
uh, yeah, no preseason, three week break. It, it's it would not be a surprise if there are players that look look tired. I think we've talked about at the end of the Premier League season that you know teams like Wolves with smaller squads just looked out on their feet in the in the last few months, and it wouldn't be a surprise if we if we get a little bit of that, which is why I think that the the teams with the best chance are the ones who are not really reliant on just two or three stars, because mm. I think it will be a tournament more than almost any international tournament I can remember where the squads will be really important. And I think that's what gives England a, a bit of a squeak is that certainly in those attacking positions, we've talked about the, the back end of the team, but I think where you want that kind of explosion and that dynamism in the, in the final third, England can rotate people in and out and they can, you know, play Sancho and then play Rashford and not really have a big drop off in talent. So uh, it's a good point, Connor. I, I think if you're a team who is very reliant on your first 11, and it's one of the reasons, actually, I don't fancy Belgium. I don't know if their squad is as deep as some of the others. Very good first 11. I'm not, not sure if they've got the depth, but I, I think it's a fair question to ask. Some of these players have been going non-stop, basically, since the end of May last year. It, it's over 12 months with a three-week break. Now, you can say what you want about them being professional athletes. I don't care what you are. Uh, eventually that tires you out. That's Brian down the pub's argument that <laughs> you've been playing with professional athletes. Probably the same kind of person who explains to you why it's right to, to, to boo the knee. In fact, I hope England start to kneel during the national anthem because that might actually cause a small time-space <laughs> rupture and it will be well, well worth it. I don't know if you saw. I mean, I'm not a big viewer of talk radio uh, on on you know wherever it streams on, but someone did share the clip of the former uh, Brexit Party MEP um, the other the other night or the other morning after the England friendly against Romania, saying he wanted he, he wanted to congratulate the two England players who stayed standing during the knee. <laughs> Uh, uh, not realising that England with a team in blue on Sunday and the team playing in white was actually Romania. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It's amazing. The, 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 the honourable gentleman should probably just get back in his box, shut the lid and stop talking. Would, would yes. you not agree? <laughs> anyway, I, I, I certainly found it very fun, let me say that. B- before we go down the uh, the big politics podcast route, we'll, <laughs> we better leave it there. Um, thank you very much, as always, for an interesting discussion, gents. Um, with regards to the summer, I think we're probably looking at having the summer off and um, rejoining again uh, in August. Uh, thank you to those of you who um, have joined on from the Liverpool Way podcast uh, with Dave and Stu, we were talking a great deal of sense and a great deal of statistics, um, Stu, um, about potential Liverpool transfer targets. That's a, that's a good listen. You can catch the Big Football Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes and um, Amazon Music. And we will be back again soon. We might do the odd show even there over summer, but um, quite frankly, we don't need to have a podcast about um, Jim White's... Um, yellow and black combo um so yeah we'll probably be having the summer off we'll be having a proper pre-season ahead of the next season yeah we'll 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 be back at the start of end of july start of august to to preview the next the next football season and that will be a football season after a short break which um which will be will be nice and uh 
I mean, not that there'll be much of a break because the Euros will finish and then preseason games will start like a week later. But there we are, all the football, all the time. time. That's exactly <laughs> the football never stops, and right and rightly so. Uh, yeah, and when, when when we come back in August. Evertonians might have been successful in rewriting the history of Carlo Ancelotti, who wasn't that good, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, uh, I'll stop having a dig at my blue friends, and we will leave it there. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Paul, Khan, thank you very much for a very, very interesting and fascinating discussion, which we have thoroughly researched, and we will catch you again after a while. 